Hello and welcome everyone to Link to the Cast episode 138 on the show this week. China bans blood, poker and imperial history in latest video game crackdown. The Man Pine 1080 snowboarding is back. Nintendo deleting what it deems inappropriate Smash Brothers levels. And uh, after 11 years of online antics, Burnout Paradise's servers are shutting down. In our book club this week, Mark does the big sell as he tries to talk me into finally playing Undertale. Let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere good podcasts are sold. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many more. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan. I'm joined by the flower child, Mark Robinson. How are you, my friend? It's been a long time coming since yourself and I were on this particular podcast, um, having the bants. The mega powers have been reunited. And it feels... It feels a bit weird. I feel like this is going to take a little while to get back into the swing of things. Shake, shake the rust off. We have appeared together on, on a couple of podcasts in the intermittent nearly 40 days, um, but not talking video games, that's for sure. We, we talked about it. We did a couple of grapp-ups, and I think that's part of what has really thrown us askew. WrestleMania season really fucked us over. I, I've done a significant amount of wrestling content since the start of the year. I think I've definitely done more uh, wrestling-related uh, podcasts than I have uh, anything uh, games-related. And obviously, mm. you know, the fact that we haven't done a, a, an episode of this in about four weeks, uh, everything yeah. has yeah, been longer. Yeah, longer for you because, I, like, I did one with Jack, and then you're kind of like a week you were busy, and then yeah, so yeah, it really like has been. In, a while in that time, we've had a whole new fucking uh, console uh, announced, yeah. among other things. So, yeah, I obviously there's no chance of us catching up to five weeks but it's yeah it's not even a thing of where we need to kind of catch up with each other because i spent like the whole weekend with you uh, a couple of weekends ago um for for many weekend so it's it's kind of like business as usual i guess um yeah we're, we're back aboard the mothership yeah um but i can confirm that i am kidney stone free now which is always a good time so that is good did, did yeah. we talk about the kidney stones on the program before or did this whole thing happen while you were gone I so that happened at the start of March, I think. So it was either around the time or just before I would have done the last podcast we were on. Yeah, because it happened while I was in Germany. And did I do a show? I can't even remember. I know I did one with Jack after Germany, but mm. uh, and I don't think I did one with the Jack. details of whether we did or didn't couldn't it, be more tedious to the people listening. But yeah. let's let's fire on with the story. I have a way. Well, I mean, there isn't really much to say. I had a kidney stone. It was the worst fucking pain I've ever felt in my life. I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. And uh, but the lovely people of St James's Hospital, uh, they informed me today after going back there that the the fuckers passed through, and I didn't even. Uh, feel the fucker come through because it was a tiny little uh, stone which is good that's if you're gonna have a kidney stone that is what i would recommend the smaller the better and yeah that, that's pretty much it really I'm, I'm for, i wish i could have more of a story to to part uh with but thankfully you don't no i mean i guess stones. at the same time I, I should not complain about that um mm. 
And then after that, I'm trying to think yeah, of this. Stay hydrated, kids, is the lesson of the day. Yeah, that's it. They were like, yeah, drink water. I was like, I do drink water. Well, drink more water. Like, I mean, I, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just kind of stick my head under the tap and just drown myself? Apparently. Apparently so. <laughs> Apparently so. Uh, what about you? What are, what's, what's going on in your life? Yeah, not much. Like a lot of the kind of between your kidney stones uh, making you kind of out of action for a week, my trip to Germany, and then uh, like my kind of work stuff sped up. I was kind of like taking on a lot of new responsibilities and stuff and big projects and work. So that's kind of part of why we've been derailed somewhat of late. But uh, yeah, can't really complain. I'm kind of away from home base at the moment if the acoustics sound a little bit different on my side of things uh, to the listeners uh, I am dog sitting for my grandparents which is always a uh, you know like I don't complain about it that much but yeah it's quite a tedious affair just because the town they live in is boring all the friends I had here when I was growing up have moved away and their internet is shite and now that the weather is warming up outside this house is like a furnace at the best of times so I'm already covered in like a thin layer of sweat five minutes into this program which bodes well Um, but you know it's grand I have some beers in the fridge should I need to get some at any stage uh, in proceedings and Endgame is out this weekend so it's out today isn't it it's out tomorrow night. Okay. Uh, I am going to the midnight premiere in, in the Odeon around the corner from here. Myself and Brian, former co-host of the program, uh, are heading to... They're doing a double bill of Infinity War, uh, last year's Avengers movie, and then like a 15, 20-minute break, and then straight into uh, Endgame at midnight. So we're we're madmen. We're doing that. Um, Looking forward to it. I've been watching a couple of uh, Marvel films over the weekend to get in the mood and listening to, just to plug it, uh, uh, friends of the show, we could say, Barry Murphy and Garrett Kidney uh, did a um, kind of like a an episodic short podcast series on his uh, on Garrett's podcast network uh, in his podcast a day, podcast a week format. Uh, where they reviewed every single Marvel movie to date, and I've kind of been working my way through that as well uh, to get me even more in the mood. So by the time you all probably hear this at the end of the week, I will have seen Endgame, um, and we we won't be chatting about it because it's a, it's become a huge thing not spoiling the Endgame, and I'm not someone who spoils films anyway at the best of times, uh, but I'd be particularly careful not to mention it. Yeah, I I'm planning to see it this weekend, but at the same time. Being in Dublin town on opening weekend of that film, uh, probably uh, yeah. is, is going to be chaotic. You're probably like as well off going the other way and trying to go to a cinema further away from Dublin yeah. than so like, going to... out to Tala or something like that. Need to figure out. Oh, no, under no circumstances. No, 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 no. <laughs> the actual cinema is quite nice there. The, so the just don't spend. Like, square area is nice. It's just yeah. the the that in a vacuum is fine. It's everything else around it. Um, Indeed. Um, I... But but. Oh, go on, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, I will say, as excited as I am to see Endgame, and kind of like you, I've gone back and I've... Specifically, I was watching all of the uh, Avengers and Captain America films because they're the ones that feel oh. mostly tied up from like Avengers 1 through uh, to, to this point. They're the kind of what ties everything together. Um, and it's just... The one thing more than anything else I find is that the... Like, that first Avengers film is very... It, it's, it almost takes itself a little bit too seriously. 
Um, and I think a lot of that is down to Thor and Loki. And, you know, we hadn't got to the point where we were, oh, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy is the way to approach this. Okay, now we have Ragnarok. So, like, going from... The, they're, for me, like, the biggest character change is seeing those two and how mm. they are um, in Avengers to how they are, like, by the time we get to, to Ragnarok. It's, yeah, I think that's phase one as a whole. The, the phase one as a whole is really interesting to go back on. Um, because there are some movies that you would have thought, yeah, it's pretty good at the time, that don't really necessarily hold up. And there's some that you're like, oh, I didn't really like that on first watch, that aren't that bad on a rewatch. Uh, I actually think, uh, you know, um, the original Iron Man is good, it's functional. It's not nearly on the level of the films we're getting now on the regular, you know, the latter Captain America films, Black Panther, Guardians, all that. It's not even close. Um Captain America, the original one, I still find kind of a bit paint-by-numbers. Uh, Thor is one I've changed my opinion on positively. The the first Thor I actually quite like now. Uh, and, you know, the more time goes on, the more I dislike the second one. Uh, no, the second one was... So, I always thought the second one was, was yeah. one of the weaker ones. I was never wild about it. It was probably my least favorite one, but I didn't, like, actively dislike it because there is still some kind of, you know, a couple of fun moments in there. But, like, rewatching it the most recent time, I was like, ugh um but yeah and then I, I i've never really liked that second avengers movie that much um not wild about it mm. um but you know um infinity war was incredible and i am i'm very very much excited to see Endgame. uh both out of kind of like bringing uh to a close this era of marvel films i'm very interested to see how not only does how it ends that chapter, but how it pivots into what's next. That's going to be the real, and especially with the whole Disney acquisition and, and how just how they're going to go forward. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Your man Kevin Feige, the the, the head honcho at Marvel Studios, uh, has said that we shouldn't expect to see Fantastic Four or X Men until twenty twenty five. I mean, and, I'd be perfectly fine never seeing Fantastic Four again because that yeah. that just well, seems to be cursed. Look, yeah, those movies were real bad. Um, but, you know, uh, much as I think 2025 is a kind of a bit of a spoof, and I think we will see them sooner than that, I don't expect fucking Wolverine to rock up in this film by any stretch of the imagination either. Um, so it'll be interesting to see maybe post-Infinity War who is still left alive and who they rely on going forwards. Like, you would think there, you would think there will be a... Th- if they can get Taika Watiki back, uh, that uh, a Ragnarok sequel is uh, an open goal, as is Black Panther 2. Um, so there are places they can go, and we know Guardians 3 is back on now that James Gunn has returned to the fold. Um, so there are definitely things they can do before they start ramping up to whoever the next big bad or whatever the next iteration of the Avengers looks like. Um but yeah, that's that, I guess. Um, before we move on, Mark, and actually talk about video games, uh, I have a brief statement to read. Okay, um, I'm ready for it. Because we were talking about, um, at the start of the program, how kind of your schedule and my schedule, there are just some weeks where we just can't work it out. Literally, we thought when we started pushing the release of this show towards Friday, that we said that gives us the whole week then, we can kind of figure, surely there'll be days. Um, but sometimes you're on late. And it happens to coincide with a week where I'm busy and or burnt out from being busy. Um, So we thought the best way to um, kind of 
try to solve that problem and try to get us on a more consistent schedule as we try to adhere to at the best of times uh, is to kind of uh, bring in a sort of squad rotation system here at the program. For that, we needed uh, a third member, a third host, which uh, we have not had since low these many years ago in 2016 when, when Brian was a regular host on the program with us. Um, so I'm pleased to announce, considering he he was the man who had earned it the most, having been the guy we call in times of crisis when one of us can't do a show anyway, that one Jack Lazell will be joining us as uh, the rotating host of this program as well. So um, every week will be some combination of myself, Mark and Jack. Uh, maybe on a very special occasion, you get all three of us uh, in the same go. But uh, yeah, and Jack, uh, having been transferred to link to the cast for an undisclosed fee, has sent me this statement to read out on the air. Begin statement. I am honoured to receive the call-up to this privileged position as co-host of Link to the Cast. Over the past few years, it's been a pleasure and an honour to share the airwaves with any combination of David Ryan and Mark Robinson. I intend to treat this opportunity with the utmost enthusiasm, grasp it with two hands, and do the fans of the show proud. Thank you very much. End statement. And it's also... It's perfect timing, um, as he is the Roman Reigns of this podcast, and with the original S.H.I.E.L.D., apparently... Uh, disbanded for good now um it is only natural it's only fitting that the the new shield and new with an nu uh comes together for the link to the cast podcast yeah it's uh we are like the shield but orders of magnitude worse um and very which is the new tagline for the show by the way (laughs) (laughs) uh shall we talk about video games my friend oh go on then playing this week hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Uh, Mark, the big one here on the sh- on the schedule for playing this week, uh, we both have in common, so let's get the biggie out of the way. We've both been playing Yoshi's Crafted World. Yeah, Yoshi's Crafted World. So, I... We've added infinity stones, by the way. Indeed, yes. Because that's the new thing. Okay. Because uh, I don't think we've actually spoken a lot, a lot about it, other than we've had some brief uh, passing comments uh, in our chat, group chat uh, that we find the whole thing very uh, charming and whimsical. I have to say, um, after sinking in a good kind of seven to eight hours, I have fallen off of that game somewhat fierce. And mm-hmm. it's mostly down to nothing to do with the, the presentation of the game or just the, the love and the craft of it. It just... it. It doesn't hold your attention particularly long because it's just too goddamn easy. Um, and I'm not saying this as, you know, sick boy here who's currently trying to get A grade on every single Cuphead level. But Yoshi's Crafted World is clearly there as a game to be played for kids and that is completely fine. And I, if I had a kid, it is absolutely a game I would give to them. Um, I just find that the challenge is just completely... It's not there. The the challenge in the game is to look around the level to point um, eggs at to uh, unlock, whether it be like dogs that are hidden in the background um, or objects that can be highlighted over to, to fire eggs at to get more coins. Um, it's it's not a... Pl- I, it is a platformer, but I it's a platform in the way that 
Banjo-Kazooie as a platformer. It's more of a collect-a-thon type game than it is a platformer, as mm. far as I can see. Um, and they are fine in very short bursts for me, but they just do not hold my attention. So I have... I, I got to a point with that game where I really just felt that I've seen everything this game has is going to offer me. It's mm. only just going to escalate, I don't know, maybe the scale or the level design uh, or the... Uh, themes and environments but i just don't feel i'm going to get any more out of this and i've since cuphead has come out uh, i've i've just uh, i haven't even given uh, yoshi's crafted world another look um it's it's completely fine for what it is but it, what it is uh is is just a little bit too on the light side for me yeah i i think it's not really necessarily a mark against it just because like that's what these yoshi games are you sure. know they've they've never been incredibly challenging platformers like not even on the level of uh, an old 2d mario level of challenging it's always been that bit more simple and like you say there are two audiences for the game one of them is definitely children as kind of like your gateway drug to a mario game uh, and the other being kind of like grown-ups who just want something to play that's a bit fun that's that's good to look at is nice and relaxing which i think is the kind of the the, the positive parts of the sentiment in, in our group chat as you mentioned was that it is just like it's an excellent chill out game um because you know again not to harp on like uh talking about my work lately or anything like that but you know you've had a long day at the office sometimes you want to come home and you want to like say bash into cuphead or something like that and uh that that's grand but sometimes your brain is just fried and you want something a bit easy um you know like i i play fifa a lot as my kind of palette cleanser and this is a nice palette cleansing sort of game like i I wouldn't say I've been obsessively playing it now uh, without being distracted by other games, but I've been coming back to it here and there. I think I've got four of the... I can't think of what they're actually called in the game, but you can't not think of the Infinity Stones when you when you see that there are these five stones that have to be collected. But I think I have three or four of them now anyway. Um but yeah, it's good. It's fun. It's it's like it's 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 beautifully designed. Uh, one of the major criticisms of the entirety of uh, Yoshi's solo adventures has been addressed. That being the egg aiming mechanic is now fixed, and you can aim it to where you want instead of having the fucking the the cursor just tipping up and down, and you having to throw it at precisely uh, the right time. So that is welcome, even though they probably could have solved that several generations ago. Um, but yeah, I enjoy it. Um, like you said, it's not it's it's not for the people who want a very challenging platformer, and it doesn't pr- it purport to be either. Um, no, so it's absolutely... exactly what it is. It it doesn't yeah. try to be anything more than it is. Um... It, it, I think it's one of those classic games that probably gets stuck in that gap. Uh, in our end of year awards in between game of the year and okayest game because it's better than okay um but i i don't think with the the low-key banger year that we've had so far for video games i don't think it's going to feature on my top 10 by any stretch either no uh, and i don't even think it would i don't even see it being like an, an okayest game of the year it's just because i <laughs> And the thing is, is we come to this every year about what do we do we qualify to be like, you know, the okayest game. But when I come back to this, um, I could possibly have it in best looking, but uh, other than that, it just it has nothing about it that I find memorable or redeeming. Other than the fact that they did fix the uh, egg throwing mechanic. Now, looking for the three dogs, like uh, the one thing I will say for it is, 
it does a good job in terms of replayability in that mm. uh, when you play through a level uh, you go through and you have to find all the um, sunflowers or daisies whatever they are per level yeah so there's um there's sunflowers and there's the 20 red coins as well yeah. uh, during your first playthrough and then you can go back through the level but you do the level in reverse uh, and there are f- three dogs that are hidden within the level and you have to find them um, and those dogs uh, also in some of the other normal levels can be used for like platforming purposes and whatnot uh, and you know they do a good job of um, when you the level is flipped it does feel fresh so you basically get the whole game and then an extra set of levels um, based on all those yeah. levels and it's cool as well because sometimes if you're paying attention going through the, the level the first time you can see like the track at the back where you'll be coming back through yeah. and you can spot some things it's very clever yeah so I it has it has things about it and it's definitely something that again uh, if I had a kid and I was you know introducing them to um, their first video game uh, you know it's between this and Metal Gear Solid 2 and I'm probably going to go with this one first just to kind of break them in mm. um, yeah so that's that's Yoshi really I don't really think there's that much more to add to it it's not a, like a, a groundbreaking sort of thing it's really not, and it's I, not I, one thing I do like about it in terms of the collectathon thing is that it doesn't like it, there is stuff to collect but I don't think it overdoes it um, because like you think about even Banjo Kazooie, which I love dearly, we've talked about ad nauseum on the program before. Like there are so many different things to collect here, whereas it's just you really only have to collect one type of thing in this. You only have to collect the daisies. You could do the whole game without having to collect anything else. Yeah, and you don't even um, need to collect all of them because as far as I can see, the purpose of the the flowers is you only need a certain amount to um, to unlock like the next area. Like yeah. with every couple of levels or every small island, there's a, a robot or whatever uh, NPC who wants X amount to unlock the next area. That as far as I can see, is, is the sole purpose of it. So you don't even need to collect every single one, uh, yeah. an, unless you're one of those freaks that likes to, you know, 100% a game. Yeah, and I think that's that's really what the, the collecting side of these kind of platformers should be geared at. Not that you necessarily have to do it for progression, but that you only really have to do it if you, if you want that 100%, if you want that excuse to keep playing. So I do appreciate that. Um, other than that, um, Cuphead is out on Switch, Mark. Cuphead is out on Switch, and oh my god. Um, so I can't believe it's been nearly two years since that game came out. October 2017. I, know, right? I, I remember being in your house and me swearing at your Xbox um, and just cursing life itself. Yeah, and, good times, great memories. And spending an hour on that fucking pirate bastard who just would not die because for some reason he decided to be the one bullet sponge in the entire game. Um, I, there's not a lot I can say about Cuphead that I didn't already say when we first reviewed it and for the 2017 well, end of year show. Start with this. How good of a port is it? It's perfect. It, it's a complete, as far as I can see, it's a complete one-to-one port. Um I mean, the thing with that game is that because of its art style, um, and you know, I can't speak for the technical side of things, but as far as I can see, because of that art style, uh, the transition, um, there's there's no, there's nothing there that you can, as far as I can see, that you can differentiate between the Switch version and the Xbox version, uh, mm. other than obviously 
the um, 720 uh, split in um, display between uh, when you have it in handheld mode and when you have it docked. But other than that, it's it's just it's perfect. It's a complete perfect port. There's no nowhere in the game do I see any kind of hitching or anything that uh, deters from your experience playing it. No performance issues. Uh, the loading times are significantly faster because that was the one thing from the original playthrough that uh, I noted was that um, you know it took about it could take up to about twenty to twenty five seconds to load into a level. It's not the case here. It's like half of that. Um, that's it. Uh, the only thing is that I much prefer playing it with the uh, Pro Controller. I've yeah. really come to uh, the conclusion that I do not like the Switch controller, like the, the actual Joy-Con controllers. I f they're too small for me. The face buttons are too small for me. And the yeah. analog stick on the right-hand side, it's too close to the face buttons that I just constantly knock it. Yeah, I think it. I think maybe it uh, depends a little on the game. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, I think I, until you get into the the kind of like the punishing platformer territory or the thing that requires like basically switching between buttons really quickly and a lot of precision, uh, I, I think you don't notice it. But the type of game that you tend to play because you hate yourself um, will probably expose the shortcomings in that, which is why I find it very funny, the constant talk that there will be by the end of this year, a smaller version of that console. I'm not sure about that. Those, those controllers are just, it's not like I have big hands. Um, I just definitely, I, cause I didn't feel, I didn't think about it um, when when I first got the Switch, like Splatoon is perfectly fine with the Joy-Con controllers. Breath of the Wild was fine. Mario was fine. But definitely a lot of those 2D platformers, uh, it's just, it's not the way to, to play them. And the, the Pro Controller, I, I, I just, I swear by at this point. Yeah, like by contrast, uh, as kind of limiting for those types of games that the, the actual Joy-Cons are, holy hell, that the form factor of that, pro controller is incredible oh yeah it's it's a worthwhile investment um i'm glad i got one in the end but uh cuphead is just it's a, a, a beautiful perfect game um for the uh sick people of the world like me uh each boss has uh, a, a variety of uh, patterns um it kind of varies between bosses uh, and the best example i think of is the um uh, the sweet castle boss where there's i think like five or six kind of like mini boss patterns before you have the, the second half of the stage and you'll have any three of those mini bosses to deal with but you won't have to deal with all six but it does mean that you have to learn six patterns if you like take a while to to get through and it can come in any order so um it adds the variety in the challenge but it's still fair in that you only have to remember basically how to defeat the boss in the pattern and it's only like one thing that you have to learn um and i, I remember mark brown had a, a really good uh episode on cuphead uh, not too long after it was released um that i'm going to go back and watch and yeah it's just i i i really really like that game and i i was so worried that when it came out that it wasn't going to be the thing that I thought it was going to be and it was just exactly what I wanted it to be and more um, and I'm super super hyped for um, just more Cuphead content uh, later this year yeah I, I just it's like I, I've never been 
a uh, much as I appreciate Cuphead aesthetically, I've never been a master Cuphead player at all. But just for the sake of having what is apparently such a great uh, port. Uh, well, the thing is, just... you've, you've watched me play it, so you don't need to play yeah. it now. No, I don't need to, but I still want to give it another go. Um, and I like the idea. I think I'd be more inclined to uh, give it a go if it's on a console I play all the time and can take with me, as opposed to the console that kind of is just a Blu-ray player for me at this point. <laughs> um, but, you know, I got the, the one euro for three months of Game Pass there the other day, so I'll be dusting it off to give the Xbox another another roll. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I don't really have anything else. I've been playing a few things myself, but nothing in any great depth. So I think I'll save that stuff for next week. Uh, although by next week, we'll have a new Box Boy game and a new Picross game to talk about. So I'm very excited. Yeah, uh, this is fi- I, still, I still fucking need to play DMZ5 as well. Oh yeah, damn man. I, I, I beat that game. Um, I, I don't think I'd beaten it when I did the show with Jack. Um, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> cool awesome thanks i i did as jack pointed out to me like i said at the end of my my talk with jack where i was like oh, i'll come in with more fleshed out thoughts and then he texts me later going you said you wanted more fleshed out thoughts you talked for literally 20 minutes about devil may cry <laughs> i'm like right okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fucking uh relitigate that whole review but uh yeah very much enjoyed it um and would recommend one of my favorites if not my favorite of the series um so i should probably play it then yeah i think so okay um, i can do that yeah, let's move from what we've been playing now into uh, the current affairs in the, the world of video games as we talk about the news. News on the mark! Oh, Mark, the Chinese have been at it again. They're always at it. Uh, as anyone following the weird and wacky world of video game regulation will know, because who among us doesn't, uh, the games industry hasn't been having the best year in China. After temporarily freezing game approvals and blaming games for causing eyesight problems, the Chinese government chose to restrict playtime for kids, even using police databases to enforce the rules. At long last, the approvals freeze has finally been replaced with a new process, but fewer games will be approved. And titles with pools of blood, corpses, gambling, and imperial schemes will no longer be given licenses. As detailed in the new approval process guidelines, this comes via Gizmodo. This story, by the way, is coming from Eurogamer. Um, Games with corpses and pools of blood of any color, so alien blood is right out, will no longer be accepted. This means developers can't simply change the color to get around the problem. So if you're expecting rainbow fountains in Mortal Kombat 11, which now I really want, you're going to be disappointed. The changes also mean games inspired by China's imperial history will be rejected. According to TechCrunch, this includes Gongdu, which is harem scheming, and Guandu, palace official competition. China has a complicated relationship with its imperial past. You could fucking say that, lads. Uh, as Uh, As while historical soap operas are enormously popular in the country for displaying a vision of Chinese primacy, they simultaneously clash with socialist values introduced in the communist revolution. In January this year, several of these soap operas were mysteriously taken off the air, and it looks like the Imperial Games are set to follow suit. Uh, Mark, we're not really pro-censorship on the program but we can't really claim to be all that surprised that there's censorship coming uh, to the Chinese video game market in even stronger force than before. Um, How do you feel about this one? It's really interesting. Um, 
you know, China is for every form of of media, whether it be uh, film or games or uh, just all forms of media, look at China as uh, this you know great untapped wealth uh, to be unlocked because of just how fucking populous the country is. And we've seen um, video games make more of an inroads over the years and uh, the likes of Nintendo having more of an input in there. And um, it's just... The thing that I find more interesting than anything else is the uh, the games with a gambling theme that take a hit because, you know, Mahjong is, is a massive pastime hobby in China. And, uh, you know... Anything related to Mahjong is going to be is removed effectively because of the concerns over illegal gambling um, that is, is apparent in, in China. So that I find is a surprise, and I'm going to be curious to see how this affects any developer or publisher that you know plans to make inroads into China with whatever release and how they may or may not uh, attempt to you know tweak their game to fit that market if they have uh, anything that doesn't meet their uh, their new policies, I guess, uh, and mm. developers and publishers are going to have to determine is it worth it effectively, and uh, yeah, it's. What do you think of it? Yeah, I, I I would have to find myself in agreement with you, and I really the the one thing that bothers me about this, like. Um, it, on top of the whole me not being wild about censorship in the first place is as you kind of alluded to there if we get a situation like we have in films where we, we go way the other way and we end up dealing with a slate of triple a games coming out that are fairly blatantly and sickeningly pandering to a chinese market um and I, like that's you know it's fine in one respect like reflect you know china is part of the world it's one of the the largest economies in the world all this sort of stuff no problem with being represented but when you get a kind of hey look it's china this is a big tourism commercial for china levels i'm like oh okay you get that a lot in films in particular nowadays um but you also I've... get it if you look at like um bohemian rhapsody and everything anything that alluded to the fact that freddie mercury was gay uh, was removed from that film mm. and i mean i haven't seen the film so i don't know how heavy they play into that but i imagine to some degree i mean it's fucking freddie mercury you can't really swerve around that part of his life um and it's a lot of uh for the most part like except for when they absolutely can't avoid uh kind of bringing it to the forefront like it's a lot of kind of illusions and nodding and winking kind of thing yeah um but but even just the like so something hollywood has done rampantly over the last number of years is like for no particular reason at all setting giant set pieces in their films in china uh, or, or doing things that would like specifically be tailored to, oh, this will get the box office in China flared up. An interesting activity uh, in which to partake is to uh, look at the recent, relatively recent output of either Michael Bay or Dwayne Johnson and try and find a film in their recent canon that doesn't heavily feature China at some point. And I it, had not considered that. Yeah. The, for instance, last year's uh, 
diehard but way dumber uh, skyscraper starring Dwayne Johnson is set entirely in China. Um, I know there have been several set pieces set in or around China in the Fast and Furious films. I'm pretty sure the same can be said of Transformers. Um, and what was the other one I was thinking of there? Um, even fucking um, Skyfall. They go to Macau, don't they? They do. Yes. Yeah. So like it's it's do you know what I mean? In Skyfall, I think it was a kind of a nicer way to do it because it didn't feel like I was being beaten over the head with a Chinese t- tourism commercial. No, uh, and I mean, kind of plot wise, they they kind of make that f- work, I guess. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but I hadn't really considered that before. Thank you for opening my ruining eyes. films for you. Not ruining, <laughs> no, 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 not ruining films. But you know the thing that's made me really ruin film has ruined film for me at the moment and this is definitely even actually and i love it by the way pacific rim that was the one i was thinking of that i couldn't mention it was like what was it with the big mechs is it gundam yeah. no it's uh pacific uh, pacific rim um the thing that's ruined films for me at the moment is after watching a bunch of the blooper reels with uh, uh the avenger films and like everything is done with green screen now i can't help but when i watch them i'm just like that'd be green screen that'd be green screen they're just in a fucking studio somewhere in hartford this isn't they're not in space I've, I've I've ruined films for myself. Studio in Hartford, they're all recording at Titan Towers. Uh, no, Hartford is in, in England, not Hartford oh. is in Connecticut. <laughs> I meant to say, get the Avengers filmed just, just beside Vince's office with the dinosaur skull. Oh, goddammit! Captain America! Yeah! Um, yeah, so that's that. I, I don't think we can really, like, we're not... Um, Experts. experts by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> on China um, but uh, you know worth keeping tabs on I'm sure because this won't be the last we hear of something like that happening over of there. Of China? No we'll probably hear more about that place. Mark uh, we have a soft spot for 1080 snowboarding on the Nintendo 64 or is it just me? Uh, I've played it but I wouldn't say I'm um, the, the expert on it I I I have a I am awfully fond of 1080 snowboarding, and I was delighted to see when you put this in the agenda. Um, the man behind 1080 snowboarding is working on a spiritual successor. Uh, Giles Goddard, alumni of 90s Nintendo, one of the first Western employees within the company's Japanese dev team, and a key figure behind the original 1080 snowboarding, has begun work on a spiritual successor. That sounds pretty amazing. Goddard's been working on a prototype for a while in his spare time, starting with a VR-focused effort in Unity, and more recently switching over to the Unreal Engine for a more traditional third-person take as production has ramped up. The game now looks to double down on what made the original 1080 snowboarding special, while folding in some new ideas that make the most of modern hardware. Technology has changed, explains Goddard. You can now have 100 players on a single mountain and they'll all be playing each other and you can real-time stream to YouTube. People can start playing with you and then stream with really fast networking and proper multiplayer. I'm aiming to emulate the snow across the entire mountain. That means overnight snowfalls lays fresh snow. You jump on your snowboard and go down and that compresses the snow. And as you turn, the snow pushes out and sprays across, which creates a new lump there, uh, which other people can then jump on that. It's basically simulating snow realistically, a fluid simulation, but with snow. Um, This sounds pretty interesting, the way uh, Goddard is looking at this one, Mark. Uh, I was a fan of 10 
1980 snowboarding didn't necessarily as soon as he said and this is just i think the way our brains have been tuned the last two years did your mind go to a particular place as soon as he said 100 players uh yeah um... i think this will be snowboarding battle royale and look I'm not going to say that won't pan out well because Look, Tetris works Tetris, as a battle royale. Exactly, so exactly. fuck it. What why the not? fuck do I know? Anymore? Do you know what? Do you know what? I'm fine with anything being a battle royale as, in, as long as it doesn't involve a gun. Yeah. You know, like if, if, if it's enough of those. Parappa the Rapper battle royale, fuck it. Try it. I don't know. It might work. Just a hundred man battle royale rap. Exactly. Like a hundred fucking people going, I got to believe. I'm down for that. Um, so yeah i i i'm really curious to see how many more of these types of games that were uh had a, a degree of popularity in the 90s and like the original devs deciding to make some sort of spiritual successor because we've seen with the likes of um with burnout and i mean even fucking the uh Castlevania spiritual successor. What the hell is that called again? Um, uh, Bloodstained. Bloodstained. Yeah, uh, I because of the ease and accessibility of which it is to make a game within a, you know an, an already set engine with you know everything there in place basically to make a game. I think that we're going to see more of this kind of thing happen, than we're going to find like someone's decide decides to make a fucking spiritual successor to like Gex the Gecko or something. Uh, <laughs> you know, I. I this doesn't come as like any sort of shock to me and it's cool and it's awesome because certainly for like our generation that you know these are the games that have that real i mean part of the point of this whole fucking podcast is games of that generation that have that tinge of nostalgia to them that we reminisce about um that aren't the you know the big hitters like nintendo and rare and etc etc so this is cool um i just hope that now i haven't played the the actual Burnout, because I know we played. Um, what was the, 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 the what was the, the the crash party mode? Um, that wasn't very good. God, I can't. Uh, dangerous driving. Dangerous driving. So that was no good. But there's the new Burnout spiritual successor, which is actually apparently pretty good. Except it has no soundtrack. Oh really? Well, I mean, apparently. yeah, sure, whatever. But you just fucking put headphones on put slayer on and off you go so yeah i'm, I'm curious to see how this that's your solution for everything well to, to a certain degree yes <laughs> funerals weddings sure <laughs> permits was yeah um we'll move on now to uh a game that's very much up your wheelhouse mark uh seeing as you are the greatest smash brothers player living um Nintendo is deleting what it deems to be inappropriate Super Smash Bros. Ultimate stages. I mean, who the so, fuck didn't see this coming, right? Yeah. So last week with the new update that dropped uh, the first uh, DLC character Joker from Persona uh, into proceedings, there was also the, the rolling out of the new custom stage mode in, um, in Smash. And the kind of first 24 hours of that were kind of... A lot of people, a lot of stuff was going in uh, into that creative mode. A lot of stuff good, a lot of stuff bad. And like with a lot of things, there's eventually going to come in the great big hand of curation. And uh, allow me to read about this as Nintendo swooped in to throw some stuff out. Uh, as expected, Nintendo is moving to delete what it deems inappropriate user-generated Super Smash Brothers Ultimate levels this week after the stage creator feature went live earlier in the week. Um... 
most of the content is currently being hauled offline as you'd expect. Most of the content currently being hauled offline is as you'd expect. Soon after the stage created feature went live, many stages featuring swastikas and other racist and offensive imagery were uploaded. There were also many, many penis stages, some of which ended up on the front page of the official Nintendo Switch app. <laughs> For that story, uh, Eurogamer social media whiz Paul Watson uh, commandeered the Nintendo Switch belonging to Gamer Network tech supremo Thomas Marchand to create a stage inspired by by the double dick dude from Reddit. <laughs> There's a whole fucking thing. Um, now Marchand has seen the level pulled from the game and he received a strongly worded email from Nintendo warning against the use of obscene and or sexual expressions. Uh, and that email is just gas to pick out the story and read out. But some of Nintendo's moderation decisions have courted a good deal of controversy. It appears stages either titled trans rights or featuring the trans flag run the risk of deletion. And in some cases, their creators were issued short term bans. Uh, Twitter user Warm Safalina received an email from Nintendo notifying her that her trans rights stage had been pulled offline for inappropriate and or harmful content. Um... So that's where this starts to run into, uh, to say the least, dodgy territory on Nintendo's part. Welcome to every day of my job. Um, this, yeah. this because, is because look, I have again. We're not censorship people here on the program, generally speaking. But given the nature of uh, Nintendo, you know, aiming a lot towards younger people, I'm absolutely fine with penis-based stages being hauled off, for example, or swastika-based stages being hauled off. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Um, Nintendo have their terms of service, and you follow them. And if they, if you, if their terms of services, um, you will not um, have anything that is, of, of, you know, depict, depicts, like, sexual graphic content or whatever. If it goes up, you have no excuse. You have nothing to complain against when they take it down, because... Um, even the, you know the fucking uh, far right will, will cry censorship or whatever. They're a private company. They're a private business. It's not censorship because it's their company. They can do what they like. Uh, and I feel that sometimes people lose exactly what censorship is. Um, now, the grey area here is obviously um, if you put up a flag of if you put up a, a pride flag or a trans flag. Um, one group will deem that this is a political statement, one group will deem that this is not, and that's where the grey area comes in. And that is just a losing battle. Like, there's just... This is why, as far as I'm concerned, do not have anything where a player can create something to put in your game, because this will always happen. If you give them the tools to create dicks, the dicks will come. That is that is the rule. Uh, and I call it the little big planet rule, and it... You know, we've seen it come to light here. Um, I deal with this every day. Um, I have a game. Players can uh, upload icons and images. And, you know, I see swastikas every single fucking day. Just that is what players do. And 99% of them aren't doing it because they actually are Nazis. They're doing it because they're dickheads. That is simply it. Um, And people that... um, you know, I'm sure there are people that, and I'm sure that the way the system works, I, I imagine a, f- a significant portion of 
um, the way this system works is it isn't Nintendo going through and actually creating levels. I think it's a good chance that there's just actually uh, players reporting on levels. I'm, I haven't checked. I'm sure there is a report feature uh, for each custom level that you look at. Um, and I'm sure there are just as many people that are reporting levels that have, you know, trans flags in it and whatever. Uh, and whatever degree of them are actually, like, offended or are just being dickheads because... I don't want political statements in my game, blah, 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 blah. You know, the, the Nintendo have a losing battle here because for as many levels as they take down, just as many levels are going to be put up um, with whatever that is violates their terms of service. Um, and for the whole political statement is is putting up a flag of uh, a, a movement of, of people. Um, is that a political statement? You can make arguments either side. I mean... The thing about, like, when you start enumerating things like political statements, even not making a political statement is a political statement not to make a political statement, yeah. you know what I mean? And at um, a point, you just it just gets tiresome. And, and uh, like, you will... You are, you are at nothing trying to... Um, argue that a, a trans flag sans any other context whatsoever is inherently harmful in any way um which a lot of these stages it's not like any sort of you know what the, the transphobes would deem sort of pro-trans propaganda or anything like that uh, it's just the flag that's all it is oh yeah i mean uh, they're scared I, to fucking I, death of it like I, this is I, the, this thing really especially because like in my work i work with with trans young people and oh my god it was so nice when all those flags started going up and i tweeted out that like jesus i could tell you firsthand from these young people that seeing that stuff and they were trending on the front page as some of the most downloaded and, and loved stages that were up there in the first couple of days like how much that would mean to those young people and just because like uh a minority of regressive shitheads got in a tizzy about it, scared to death of a flag that is quite aesthetically pleasing, I must say. I mean, I do um, want to point out, I have no objections to these flags. This is oh no, I'm not saying wanna... that. I'm not saying that you do, and I completely <laughs> like, completely agree with everything you have said to this point. I, I'm just saying that, like, it isn't like, you know, ugh, it just it gets me real fucking angry and I don't want to like go off on a on a soapbox like tirade or get didactic about it or anything like that. But there is a con there is a considerable difference to me, a considerable shortfall between the concept of a political statement and the concept of a human rights statement. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. of course. You know what I mean? Like, it's not it's not in any way fucking controversial to me whatsoever. And it shouldn't be. Um, except to, as as I said, a, a very, very small, very vocal, bullshit uh, bunch of lunatics. And again, welcome to every single day of my job. But, uh, you know, we'll see how this uh, escalates over the, the, the coming months. Um, I, I've never found a, a, a real solid way to handle this kind of situation. Um, um, I remember one time I think I, I showed in a, our group chat uh, someone decided to upload an icon of the uh, the Audi supermarket logo uh, which was a good time I very much enjoyed that you know if people just did stupid stuff like that we'd be fine you know um, yeah but we live in a world where people decide they have to 
upload swastikas and upload uh, dicks, which again, even to a certain degree, I'm fine with Mario and Snake fighting on a giant dick. Part of me quite <laughs> finds that Look, hilarious. The, the pure oil part of my brain finds that incredibly funny. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But I'm perfectly fine with that being a violation of Nintendo's terms yeah, of service and yeah. being taken down. Absolutely. I can absolutely see why there are like six-year-old children playing this game that don't want to see like Little Mac punching out on a giant wanger. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm completely down with that. Um, but yeah, it's a fucking, it's a, as you say yourself, because it is part of your daily life, it is a fucking minefield to say the least. Um, and uh, Godspeed to the poor people who are employed to, to sort this situation we out. We don't need to delete le- the level levels, we need to delete people. That's <laughs> how this works. Speaking of swastikas. I am Thanos. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I didn't think this news story would end in you advocating eugenics, but here we fucking are anyway. Um, After 11 years of online antics, Burnout Paradise's servers are shutting down. Over 11 years after Burnout Paradise was first launched on the 360 and PlayStation 3, EA has announced that it will be shutting down the game's servers Thursday, August 1st of this year. This doesn't mean the end for Burnout Paradise, of course, uh, while all online functionality will cease on platforms running the original version of the game. Um, offline elements will still remain accessible and obviously Burnout Paradise Remastered uh, came out last year on Xbox One, PS4 and PC surprisingly there hasn't been an announcement of a Switch, Switch port yet but uh, however Mark uh, you know we can't realistically expect companies even the size of EA to keep servers open forever and uh, it feels like a while since we've had one of these kind of uh, beloved games from the past uh getting their servers shut down um any thoughts about this one i actually find it surprising that it wasn't taken down sooner considering that there's a remaster of it i would have thought that as soon as they announced that remaster they probably would have shut it down if not sooner i was kind of when i saw this story in our little agenda i was kind of more surprised that they were online you know yeah like what maniac is still playing the Xbox 360 version of this compared to the the remaster, but hey, you know, more power to you, I guess. Um, hey, look, like there's still, you know, and it, it will still live online in like different LAN communities after this, I'm sure. Uh, we've seen many stories over the years about how like um, one of the ones I think of in particular is that Matrix online game, which the server shut down for that fucking years ago. And a couple of years ago, maybe uh, Waypoint or somebody uncovered that there was this underground community of people still playing this game on their own server they'd created. Yeah. Um, uh, the one that always tickles me was, uh, was I think it was on Halo 2. Uh, a couple of yeah. people were playing that game consistently because I don't know what the, the ruling was, whether like they were going to wait until everyone had stopped playing it or what the deal was, but they were still playing it and the server was still up as a result. Oh, of it. yeah. Was that the one that it couldn't shut down until there was no one playing it? So Something as long like as that. somebody was in there, they didn't shut it down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And then there was one, I can't remember the name of the game for the life of me, but I remember seeing the headline last week that another one of these underground communities was discovered for some like beloved online game from the past and the reason it made the news story was one the community had been discovered and two they were getting real mad because uh the people in this community wouldn't let the wider community into it they're like no we created this server for ourselves we don't want it overloaded and make this our jobs that's just perfect (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, there isn't really much to say. It goes, uh, you know, the, the, you'll get one of these kinds of stories uh, every couple of months where some. I mean, we're going to get these stories more often as we um, remove ourselves further and further away from the last generation and the 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 generation where online servers became more the norm more than anything else uh you know this we're gonna see this a lot more and and um hey you know you can only have a server open for so long and those things cost money and at some point developers and publishers have to be like all right yep we we're done with this now we've moved on to the next thing um but this one this one more than any other just it seems like a logical thing to do because there's already a remastered version of it available Mm, absolutely uh, moving on from that, uh, it's not often we have calls to talk about Sega on the program, but here we are anyway. Sega has unveiled 10 more games for the imminently arriving Mega Drive Mini coming out in September this year. Um, so, uh, newly unveiled for the Sega Mega Drive Mini are uh, Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse, World of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, Thunder Force 3, Super Fantasy Zone, Shinobi 3, Streets of Rage 2, Earthworm Motherfucking Jim, speaking of games we covered recently, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Contra Hardcore, and Landstalker. Um, how are you feeling about this? The, how this lineup is uh, building for the Mega, uh, the Genesis Mini? It's a really fucking strong lineup of games. Uh, I I am looking about I think seven of these games uh, that yeah. I have played in some form or fashion uh, back in the day. Um, yeah. I remember. This is, this is we already had, by the way, just for the sake of com- uh, completing the list. So we already have announced Sonic One, Echo the Dolphin, Castlevania Bloodline, Space Harrier Two, Shining Force. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Toe Jam and Earl, uh, Comic Zone, Altered Beast, Gunstar Heroes. So looking at the list, the only things that uh, look to be missing off the top of my head, uh, Kid Chameleon is one. Sonic 3. Sonic 3. I mean, depending on how many Sonic games they want to put on there. Um, Quackshot is definitely missing off that list. Mm. Um, Virtua Racing, I think. Was it Virtua Racer? Yeah. I think that's what it was. A Virtua Fighter game? Would you put that in? Virtua Fighter, no, because the original Virtua Fighter, I don't wasn't on the original Mega Drive. It was on the 32x, so that wouldn't be on there. I, you know, what I'd really like on there is FIFA 93. Yeah, good luck with that. Probably not going to happen, but it'd be nice. Um, there's a bunch of other games off the top of my head, but you know all the, the the big ones are on there that I can see so far, and it's a really strong list. It's a really really strong lineup. Uh, I'd actually say this is a stronger lineup than the uh, NES Mini Classic. Like it yeah, might not it might not def- hit the highs than the NES. It might it's not the- hit the highs of the NES, uh, but although I do think it does, but it definitely doesn't hit the lows of the the NES. Yeah, um, that's for sure. Um, unless you're a massive Bubble Bobble fan. Uh, hey, um, ice climbers, sure. Yeah. Um, moving on, Mark, to our final story. Mark the date, mark the time, because we're it's going to be an exhaustingly regular thing we're going to be talking about in this show. It started the PlayStation 5. Yeah, so this all happened while we were away. Yeah, so um, 
Mark Cerny, the the chief architect of the PS4 and has the same job for bringing the PS5 to market, recently sat down for an interview with Wired Magazine, which is still a thing in the year of our Lord 2019. Um, so I, I think I'll just uh, I'll just run through the the list of things here. Uh, perhaps most importantly for PlayStation fans and importantly for me because I think. At the beginning of this generation, Mark, we said this was for the fucking last time they could get away with this shit and not bring it in for the next generation. The PS5 will be backwards compatible with the PS4 game library. Um, I will be interested to hear a more detailed breakdown on that in the future, whether that means like your digital games will carry over on your account, because I have a rake of digital PS4 games that I would love to just be able to download straight away once I get my PS5. Um, the current PlayStation VR headset will also be supported, which is awesome. That means you can you don't have to buy another fucking one of those. Uh, the one thing I, I would like to see from that going forward is with the additional processing power and, and the the whatever's under the hood on this PS5, if we can forego having that um, breakout box. You know, you've seen me wire up the VR headset yep, before, yep, yep. and there's that little box that kind of gives it the the, the processing kick. Uh, if that can all be brought under the hood of the PS5 and it's just uh, headset straight into console, I would appreciate that. It saves a couple of minutes on the setup and having to find an extra socket. Uh, there's no release window yet, but Sony has ruled out 2019. Yeah, I would think uh, with them not being at E3 this year, that was probably the the biggest sign that it wasn't going to be 2019. I'm thinking the earliest uh, is holiday next year. Um, it will depend on what... Uh, uh, but a lot of these things, I imagine, it'll depend on what Sony think Microsoft are doing because they're both going to want to get a jump on the other one uh, into the market. Um, the the rest of it all is a lot of kind of tech spec stuff, which I'm is not really, meh, uh, is is not really my kind of bag. So you could look up some of that detail about the chip that's in it and things like that. It will support uh, 8K graphics, uh, but not that many TVs on market support 8K graphics at this point. Uh, Mark, what do, you, what do you think of... Oh, the other thing, I suppose, uh, in terms of load times, the hard drive that will be in the PS5 is a solid-state drive, which will uh, rapidly erode loading times. So uh, that'll be... People will be pleased with that, I imagine. Uh, what do you think of our, our, our scant PS5 knowledge at this point, my friend? Uh, I think the... Uh key thing in terms of its release date is uh, when is Death Stranding going to be released because I'm pretty sure we'll see those two go hand in hand. Yeah, there's there's games like Death Stranding and Last of Us 2 that's going to be very interesting mm -hmm. to see where they land. Will Death Stranding or Last of Us end up being like a Skyward Sword situation and uh, was it Skyward Sword? No. Uh, Twilight Princess? It's Twilight Princess and Breath Twilight of the yeah, Twilight Princess and Breath of the Wild, where it straddles the generations and it comes out as the last game on one and one of the first games on the other. And, uh, and also <laughs> that Final Fantasy VII remake. Which, again, um, I think I can confidently say won't show up on Sony's stage this year because Sony don't have a stage this year. So that's no. a point already in the prediction games for me. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, fucking hell. Um, yeah, what, what do you think of this one? I the thing is um I at this point I have um for a start I'm not big when it comes to like I don't really care about the the console itself my thing has always just, just been hey show me the games I'm yeah. I'm a purist like that so when someone comes along and um 
rattles off a bunch of numbers and figures about, hey, the console will do this and will do that. I just, I'm not really that fussed about it. I just, hey, show me the games. Um, and because of how far removed we are from when we're actually going to see this thing, mm-hmm. I honestly, like, I saw, I opened up Twitter one day and there was a bunch of stuff about the PS5 being announced and I just closed Twitter. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, I don't I don't really have a lot to, to say this time. The, the key things, obviously, is the fact that, yep, uh, PS4 games will play on it. Uh, it would have been nice if they could have somehow found a way to have extended that to. I mean, even PS3 games would have been would have been awesome. Yeah, um, I mean, they can't even figure out how to. So they in the time we've been gone as well, you can now change your username on PS4, but somehow that fucks up trophy information for anything released before January what, last year. What I think. What the hell? Um, so I, I imagine that at least with digital games, that is a fucking quagmire. Yeah, uh, which is just infuriating. But it would have been really good if they could have had that to at least get to PS3, and then we could have had something similar to uh, what we have with Xbox One, and that you know the games that you have from the prior generation, you can play them. They're slightly upraised. The, the the fidelity on the the graphics is a little bit cleaner, a little bit smoother. Uh, that would have been awesome if we could have done that, but. Uh, we'll see if that gets announced anywhere further down the line. Definitely, if they can integrate more with with the VR set, as you uh, said, that would be very good, and that's a, a more of an incentive as well. Um, and I don't know if they'll have like a, a VR two or how they'll go about that. I imagine they would do something like that just because of the the upgrades across the board. I can give a shit about 8K. I mean, we're still fucking transitioning to 4K for crying out loud. So, um, you know, I imagine they'll have like some. Uh, PS5 X X or whatever that's you know the the souped up version which will be for the higher tier market of about four people that will play that version um, mm. but you know you, you can branch across um, different tiers of, of your uh, customer base so sure I mean have that audience fine whatever um, but yeah I, there's not really much more to report at the moment um, I'm, I'm sure we'll get you know a trickle down of information um, over the next year or two and yeah I guess we'll just kind of wait and see when Microsoft decides to turn around and say oh stop looking at them here's the Xbox 180 snowboarding version mm-hmm. and you know we'll go from there yeah for sure uh, I think we'll, we'll park that there because I'm sure over the next year and a half two years is going to be an exhausting amount of discussions on this podcast uh, about the PlayStation 5 so let's not burn that one out uh, in such, at such an early stage um, that's going to do it for the news and we are going to move into uh, our, our key feature on the program here the uh, Link to the Cast Book Club uh, where we talk about an important game from the past that you either should play for the first time if you haven't before or pick up again if it's been a little while this time Mark is hopping into the used car salesman uh, role on the program because he's going to try talk me into finally getting off my arse and playing Undertale. is a role-playing video game created by American indie developer Toby Fox. 
players control a child who has fallen into the underground, a large secluded region under the surface of the earth separated by a magic barrier. The player meets various monsters during a quest to return to the surface, mainly through the combat system. The player navigates through many bullet hell attacks by the opponent and can opt to pacify or subdue monsters in order to spare them, instead of killing them. These choices affect the game with the dialogue, characters and story changing based on outcomes. Fox develops the entirety of the game independently, including writing and composing the score, with only additional art created by other artists, primarily Timmy Chang. The game was inspired by the Mother and Mari Mario and Luigi role-playing series, the Bullet Hell Shooter series Tohu Project, and the British comedy show Mr Bean. Undertale was initially met, meant to be two hours in length and was set to be released in mid-2014, but development was delayed over the course of the next three years. The game was released in micro for Microsoft Windows and OS X in September 2015, for Linux in July 2016, for the PS4 and PlayStation V2 in August 2017, and for the Nintendo Switch in September 2018. The game was acclaimed for its writing, thematic material, intuitive combat system, musical score and originality, with praise directed towards its story, dialogue and characters. The game sold over 1 million copies and was nominated for multiple accolades and awards, including Game of the Year from several gaming publications and conventions. And, yeah, uh, the, first the first chapter of a related game, Deltarune, was released in late 2018. So, Dave Ryan. It's interesting that I'm here trying to convince you to play an RPG uh, when story-focused role-playing type games are not my forte. Uh, yeah. I think that's fair to say between and, the two of and, us. And whereas story-focused games would be my forte, RPGs, particularly ones with kind of anything resembling turn-based combat, are not typically my, you know... I, I think the first substantial Western RPG I ever played start to finish was The Witcher 3, which has really kind of opened my eyes to giving any genre of game a try because I realized there's no one genre of game I don't like when it's done well enough, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I can immediately start there then and discuss the the way the, the turn-based combat works in this game. Mm. Um, now, turn-based combat uh, in, in RPGs and JRPGs can vary in uh, a number of minor details, but the, the key idea is that you take your go, then the enemy takes their go, and you go back and forth. And this is usually a very static process um, where, you know, you input whatever command you want to do and then you do that move. There are, you know, tactics that can be used and applied and uh, a whole number of different elements and systems and whatever else. And then there are some games as well that include, um, you know, time prompts. I think back to like the Mario and Luigi series that include such a feature where, you know, you're not just pressing to attack that you actually, during the attack itself, you need, to, you need to press specific commands. Um, I think back to Final Fantasy VI and each character having their own different uh, unique attack and style and that you would have to you know, play each character differently depending on, on the way that they attacked. So it's not new, it's not uncommon, uncommon for um, turn-based combat in, uh, in RPGs to, to vary to a certain degree. But the thing about... Uh, Undertale was mentioned there in the intro is that this isn't just um, you know static input with uh, uh, different permutations in the the minor mechanics, but it's 
you basically you end up playing a bullet hell shooter with each turn that you take and each turn uh, and each enemy that you face is a completely different mini game um so you know you might have for example uh one enemy who um and also by the way you know i'm going to talk about some of the enemy designs in this game and they're as mental as you can possibly imagine but for example you might have um a dog or a good doggo who's uh in a giant um knight armor set and uh you are this uh, like red heart and you always the icon that you have is a red heart and you might have to move it across the screen to avoid arrows that are um, kind of coming towards you um you have um like some of the different bosses and the way that you have to maneuver around the stage to avoid um their attacks you might sometimes have to uh Hot, keep your heart the icon still uh, so like you know you have a bar that's blue so you have to be stationary when that goes past you but then you have to move to go past uh, the icons that uh, the, the objects that are white and you know every enemy has its own varied style and it's you know no two enemies <clears throat> feel the same in regards to that uh, and on top of that as well is the fact that you never have to defeat an enemy fully in the game. If you want, you can play a completely pacifist game from beginning to end, uh, which is there not only to increase the challenge, because if you defeat enemies, you get more HP and it gives you more health, um, which makes it you know easier to take more hits. Um, but it also completely changes the story and the way that the world around you uh, exists depending on how many uh, enemies you defeat. Uh, and I'm not going to go too much into that because that's that's something that you really have to experience for yourself by playing through the game uh, a couple of times to see these different scenarios or just watching it on YouTube. So, um, you know, then if you're going to play the pacifist role, you have to figure out how to defeat this enemy um, by give it going through the different options because, you know, you might have... Um, you have the ability just to fight the opponent, but you have like different actions you can take. You can, you know, if you have a dog, um, it might give you the options to either like talk to the dog or um, get the dog to play fetch or, you know, get him to roll over. And you have to figure out the the link of commands that you need to do to get it to a point where the dog's kind of bored of you and like wants to go off and piss around with someone else. And you have to figure that out. And there are certain enemies where there is a beautiful logic that kind of makes sense but then there are times as well where it's just completely random and but it never feels unfair um and it's always amusing and i will always forgive uh, a game that goes into complete just like a, removing logic from a situation because it's just too damn fun and too damn uh the, the humor is so strong that i'm fine you know just pressing buttons and seeing what action occurs next depending on the enemy that i'm taking on so if you're not into turn-based combat this is um you know the the farthest thing removed from what you would expect in a traditional mm. rpg and expect me to say that about pretty much everything else about this game as well yeah that is a relief because from the outside you you wouldn't necessarily pick up on that you know what i mean immediately because you see kind of screens or stills of the game and it doesn't reflect how not typically turn-based it is because you see the menu you see the different options and things like that and you make that assumption you know yeah but it makes it pretty clear uh, immediately um that's not the case 
but with that said, you know, there is still a hell of a challenge that comes with different boss uh, enemies and certainly the bosses where it does go, you know, full on bullet hell. Uh, like if you think of any uh, game like an R-Type or an Ikaruga, um, not so much with the, the color scheme with Ikaruga, um, but that game gets tough. That game gets really tough. And if you're doing the pacifist role, which is effectively like doing the hard mode, there are certain enemies that will take you a fair amount of tries to figure out the patterns. Um, but it's kind of like what I was talking about Cuphead earlier. You know, once you have the pattern figured out, it's just a case of um, doing it over and over and over again. So you you know you know the pattern exactly, and it never it never incorporates anything that's random so uh, it plays fair like that um, the key thing about this game um, more than anything else more than anything that exists in its mechanics or its rules as a video game is the writing and the characters um, the story mm. is you know you're in this world and you need to escape it, it, it doesn't get far too complex past that but it's the actual characters that exist within this world that are some of the most, um, like the writing. And it's one of those things where you can have quirky humor in a video game, but it's so self-aware of what it's doing that it just kind of crawls up its own ass and you, yeah. you just loses you. Undertale never goes, falls into that category. It, the, the writing is sharp. It's it's witty. It's um, it is aware of what it's doing, but it never it never comes across that it's like oh yeah, I'm a funny game and oh yeah the writing and, and it's not doing the whole thing with a wink and a nudge. It it keeps it sharp and part of that is that there is a, an actual human uh, element and emotion to the certain characters and, and parts of the story as well uh, and, it, and it plays on a whole bunch of different themes and connections uh, with like motherhood and, um, uh, and and stuff of that nature and it's a lot of stuff that you don't immediately get uh, and it's stuff that you kind of pick up more on the second playthrough um, but there's this whole ridiculous bit where you've got um, two characters, they're two skeletons and, and they're brothers um, and you have one character who's trying to impress like one of the big bosses towards the end of the game. And they're so determined that they are going to uh, defeat you. And they lay out all of these random assortment of traps and whatnot. And it's just completely ridiculous. Uh, but the whole thing's hilarious. Uh, and then later on, you end up going on a date with this person, uh, with this skeleton. Uh, and, and the whole scene plays out. And uh, just throughout the game from beginning to end the game is funny and it it varies up the degrees of how funny the game can be like one of the bosses is a murdering robot that decides the way he's going to murder you is through using a cooking uh, television show um <laughs> and you know i can't even begin to envision how toby kind of come up with these different scenarios and you know that robot then turns into basically fucking david bowie it's just there's a level of creativity that uh, I can only possibly aspire to. Um, and that that is the big thing. Uh, and um, whether, uh, whenever I talk about this game or when I talk about it with people who have played this game, it is 
the collection of characters and how they have their own they're all very unique and they have their weird quirks and personalities and they're fully realized characters um in a way that a game that has you know 400 hours of dialogue and is, is 60 hours long could even possibly close become getting anywhere close to uh how realized these characters are do you have any any other questions for me not really like you've definitely kind of you've assuaged some of my fears about the type of game that it is in in terms of the minute to minute gameplay you you know as you know me well that kind of uh rich and entertaining characters are real kind of dave bait for a game um well another thing i want to kind of like get you to touch upon before we kind of run out of here um is something that i have a very small slice of experience with uh, having heard one of them um tell me about the soundtrack for this game because let me tell you the one track i've heard megalovania fucking rips yeah that's that's pretty much um that that's pretty much the song that anyone will, will go to uh when it comes to uh to undertale uh i mean there's a song that's just completely made up of uh chip tune dog box i mean good stuff what more what more does one want to say yeah the the soundtrack is incredible um it's very it, it it's it seems cliche to say atmospheric and it seems weird to say it for you know uh, a game that looks like a bad 8-bit nintendo game but there is yeah. a, a level of atmosphere and the the music definitely fits around um, the different environments and the different themes, uh, and then the you know with any kind of RPG like certain characters have their own theme song, if you will. Mm. Um, so it definitely plays along that, and it's definitely one of those games that as you play it, uh, there are songs that will definitely get stuck in your head. Um, so it, yeah, the, it's it's also a soundtrack that I listen to outside of playing the game as well, and there are some really strong numbers in there. Um, and it just works. It really fucking works. The 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 soundtrack, you know, it complements the game and vice versa. Uh, and yeah, Metalvania is uh, just is is a banging song. Uh, and I guess uh, then finally, have you delved much into Delta Rune? Uh, so I started playing Delta Rune. I played about the first half an hour of it, um, and it, uh, it not to give spoilers away. Um, it does have one of the characters from Undertale. Um, but I didn't play it too much because I got distracted with uh, other stuff. Um, so I haven't had a chance to play with it too much. But um, it, you know, it does feel like a Toby Fox Undertale game. It graphically looks very similar. It has uh, elements of um, the the human side of Undertale. Um, so I haven't had a chance to to go too far with it yet. But it's just it's just insane how good that game is. But also, you put it up against how, at times, like bad the um, the actual graphical presentation of the game is, because mm. it has to be said, uh, Undertale at times is a bit of an ugly game. And the best comparison yeah. I can make uh, here is, and you know, there are a bunch of um, comparisons that can be made to. Uh, um, Mother 3 and, and Earthbound in particular. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, It's like if someone tried to made, make Earthbound a few years before the technology was there. Yeah, because you have like bits of Earthbound where the the character model and, and like the angle that it's, it's standing at doesn't kind of match up with like the house that it's next to or whatever. Yeah. And it's exactly the same thing here where you think something should look like a kind of 3D surface, but it's on a flat 2D plane and it just doesn't match up. 
But incidentally, it, how great would Earthbound be on Switch? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but it it would be too easy to say that that's the intended design and that it fits what the game is. Mm. And I don't know if that was the intended design choice by Toby Fox or he just he didn't know how to um, make it look you know, correct, for, for lack of a better term. And so he just went, fuck it. Just, that's the way this is going to look and I'm just going to go with it. But you don't spend too long thinking about that. Um, and it's honestly, like, as, as ugly as that game can be, you never really sit for too long to think about it because it has too many other things. It fucking, it has good dogs, all right? The game has right. the good dogs. And like, you could have saved us 10 minutes just by going to that straight away. Though I can't remember if you can pet a good dog or not. I can't remember. I'll have to go and find the Twitter account just to check yeah. on that. <laughs> uh, right, Marcus, that time of the program. Elevator pitch me, baby. Uh, Undertale is a game that um, is by far one of the most unique games I've played in um, the last couple of generations. It's one of the most original games that I've played ever. Uh, it's a game that is consistently strong with its writing throughout, and I'm not a man that cares much for writing. I'm skipping cutscenes until I can start playing stuff, until I can start moving. Um, but Undertale, it, it holds you by the hand, both uh, literally and within the, the actual story to start with, um, and then just lets you free. And it's just a, such a unique world with such unique characters to experience. Um, and. It really is. Like, if you have a, a top 20 games that you must play, I do think it is in there. Even if it's not a, a genre of game that you would normally play, even if it's something that you don't think you will like at the end, you can't come away from playing Undertale and not find it to be something wholly unique that just does mm. something that no other game does, even within the genre it sits in. Excellent. Well, I guess we have one last thing to attend to, and that is to talk about the game that we will be discussing next week on the program. It's my turn. Oh, no, it's not. I picked Undertale to make you do it, so it's you your did, turn. But I don't have one, so we're going to come up okay. with next week. I'll, I'll do a twofer, um, because I have one in mind. Oh, excellent. Uh, Mark, I am going to take you back to the year 1999. All right, it's Prince there. Lo, these many years ago. We are going to party like it's 1999. Um... We're going to talk about one of, if not my favorite consoles of all time, the Nintendo 64, and a game that came out came out on it that uh, has become a cult classic in in the years since. Uh, and it's funny you should say party, Mark, because to me there ain't no party like a Pokemon Snap party. <laughs> How have we not done Pokemon Snap yet? Yeah, well, I I googled it, and hopefully we haven't, because <laughs> nothing came back, but. If you're hearing this, we didn't do it, and next week we'll be doing Pokemon Snap. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing Jack will definitely be doing the next week's show of us then. I, I am. I, I think this will be a nice, easy one for him to, to ease into the, the rotation with one or the other of I mean, us. He yeah. will swear blind at you if he is not a part of Pokemon Snap, so you've been this warned. This is true. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Right, uh, yeah, that's going to be episode 140 of the program. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's Link to the Cast, where we're, we got the rust shaken off. We are we are back in the ring. Um, we are uh, available at linktothecast.wordpress.com is the website. Show notes, everything is on there. Uh, probably the best way to keep up 
to date with content as it is posted to social media uh, at link to the cast on twitter facebook.com forward slash link to the cast uh, individually on the tweet machine mark is at lithium project jack is at jack lazel and i am at the day to dave um, where you can kind of follow us there and keep track of our musings on video games and whatever else. Uh, speaking of podcasts, by the way, uh, there are many podcasts under our umbrella uh, that you can avail yourself of video some, games. Some might say possibly too many. So some would say. Um, among those that diverse range of podcasts are uh, the Popcorn Social, uh, which is our, our film podcast that comes out once in a great while. Um, the Grap Up, a, a pro wrestling podcast, uh, also intermittent, but we've done quite a few of this year so far. We just did a pre and post WrestleMania week uh, editions of the podcast. So if you kind of missed out on a lot of WrestleMania week stuff on the indies and the fight TV and all that sort of stuff, and you want to know what was the cream of the crop, what should I go back and look at? We do a pretty good rundown there of, of our personal highlights. Um, we also have a couple of uh, th- those two, by the way, the Grap up and popcorn social are all available on this same feed with link to the cast so once you subscribe to link to the cast on spotify stitcher soundcloud wherever you're getting all those in there you don't have to do anything else sit back kick back enjoy those we do have a couple of sister podcasts that have their own feeds uh mark this is the first time i think since we yeah it's the first time that we've gotten a chance for you to plug your other endeavor on this show so you go ahead and then i'll close out indeed i am now officially a part of the voices of wrestling network uh, co-opted yeah i know right yeah we're getting in there we're gonna be uh, taking big, big bucks robinson <laughs> no well not yet i haven't seen he held out for that fuck you joe lanza cash <laughs> <laughs> he spent it all in New Jersey over Mania Weekend, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure that guy wins about 50 fucking shows. Yeah, I have a uh, podcast now over at Voices Wrestling where uh, I am the, the man who has taken the mantle of talking about Ring of Honor every week uh, for better and for worse uh, considering some of their recent uh, some of their recent offerings but the show's been really good over the last couple of weeks and uh, I've, I've done two solo shows by myself and it has to be said Dave doing a show by yourself is a weird fucking venture um, yeah I, I did one of these shows by myself and you will never hear it <laughs> <laughs> because it turns out much as I am a verbose and loquacious man as I will chat endlessly I need someone to bounce off yeah and I am usually like I need someone to do most of the talking and for me to chip in but I have to say I'm not going to toot my own horn but I think I've done pretty well <laughs> toot 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 motherfucker I think I did pretty well over these last two shows uh, and I do think uh have a special guest for uh next week's show and maybe that might go further going forward um so uh yeah it's not me sadly it's not you dave no but uh this week's show that went up today has uh or as of recording on tuesday has a review of their last big show masters of the craft and has a big preview about the crockett cup uh, in conjunction with nwa uh that it will be taking place this saturday so if you like ring of honor or wrestling in general uh, please do go check it out over at voicesofwrestling.com and speaking of uh potentially dubious endeavors what with the 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 msg card that the two of us recently had to review on your ring of honor podcast uh, i do a wrestling related podcast that is uh not in terms of quality of the show i think it's been a very good podcast but in terms of the quality of the fucking show we're watching wildly varies in quality that podcast is days of thunder where myself and lee malone also 
uh, known around the the voices of wrestling parts of the world. Uh, we take an episode of WCW Thunder, uh, the the B show from a company that managed to be the most successful wrestling company in the history of the world, and then die within three years of that. Uh, so you can only imagine what their B show was like. We're charting the progress of that show. Sans any other context whatsoever. We're not watching the A show. We're just trying to see how much better or worse the experience is by watching Thunder. Those episodes come out every two weeks. You just search for Days of Thunder on your your podcast uh, app of preference. It should pop up there. Failing that, at WCW Thunderpod on the tweet machine is where you need to go. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for this week on Link to the Cast. Uh, I have been Dave Ryan. The man on the line has been at Mark Robinson. We shall see you all in some combination next week. Bye-bye.